Live and local across the city and South Cambridgeshire. This is Lee Chambers. Cambridge 105 Radio. Particle physicist, professor, broadcaster, writer Brian Cox was in Cambridge at the Cambridge Union earlier this week to receive the 2022 Stephen Hawking Fellowship. I went along to meet him, spoke to him prior to him giving a lecture in the Cambridge Union and asked him what it meant to him to receive the award. Oh, it's a tremendous and unexpected honour. I mean, I, um, as along with many people, grew up with and was inspired by Stephen from a brief history of time onwards. And uh, it's one of the reasons that I went into physics. And so to, to you know, to, to receive this award, the Professor Hawking Fellowship, I think is, I mean, I wouldn't have imagined it when I was sat there reading A Brief History of Time all those years ago. (laughs) So it's, yeah, I mean, I I can't tell you how wonderful it is. Yes, you were mentored by him, weren't you? Myself and and others, actually. He was very encouraging to people who wanted to be academics and and work in the university, but also who wanted to talk about science to the public, right? To to what we now call public engagement of science. And he was extremely supportive. And that's really important because it hasn't always been the case that if you were an academic and teaching and doing research and things in the university, that the university would be supportive. And the University of Manchester are really supportive. But I think to have people of that stature really saying to the, the academic world as a whole, this is a vital part of what an academic can do. Right? Not all academics want to do it, but some do. And the ones that do to, that need to be supported. And, and he was very vocal in his support of people who wanted to explain what we are doing to, to as many people as possible. And you've already been talking to school children today, is that right? Yeah, yeah, I gave my first uh, lecture in this magnificent union uh, to a a series of schools from ages, I think, 13, 14, all through to 17 and 18. And it was wonderful because we could have gone on forever. There's so many questions at the end, which is always the gauge. If you want to know how you've done in a talk to 13, 14, 15-year-olds, then you measure it by the number of questions because if they're all half asleep at the end, then you've messed it up. And I, and I did, you know, I showed them some of the equations that describe what happens to time in particular in the vicinity of a star or a black hole, and they just, they, they, they seem to enjoy it based on the number of questions they asked afterwards, <laughs> so it seemed to go well. Do you think that engagement with physics has increased over time? Have you seen a difference in the way that young people are engaging with it? I think so. I, I think some of it, I think these things come in waves, you know. So, so if you go back to my generation, which was just after the moon landings, I think there's a huge interest in space exploration then. And then maybe it waned a bit. Um, and now I think with things like the Large Hadron Collider at CERN, with Stephen's work, you know, from the brief history of time onwards, I, I think that there's there's been a, a, a renaissance it's certainly in people being interested. I mean, black holes as a subject, I don't think anybody knew what they were if you go back to before a brief history of time. Now, things like, the word, you know, words like event horizon and singularity and those things, they're, they're kind of part of popular culture now. In many ways, that's down to Stephen's work. 
and, and efforts. So, yeah, the, the, I think the things that people are interested in now are probably different to the things that people were interested in a few decades ago. I think we'll see now, I mean, today we're talking, as we speak, um, the, the, the moon rocket has launched, right? It launched this morning, the Artemis mission to the moon. So, so maybe we're on the verge of a new, a new renaissance in interest in space exploration. Do you think people maybe don't engage with physics? They think it's a bit mathsy. Yeah, I mean, it's the the thing is to me what what's important is you start with the ideas. So, if you think what physics is, it's an exploration of the both the universe at the smallest scale, so, so atoms and you know quantum mechanics and all that kind of stuff which is fascinating to people because it's so weird but also at the largest scales so so we are i'll be talking tonight there's a great um i could read it to you actually i'm going to read i'm going to read something from a textbook that stephen wrote with george ellis in 1974 called the large scale structure of space time right so it's a physics textbook but here's something that that he says right in the introduction he says that Einstein's theory of general relativity, this is physics, right, leads to two remarkable predictions about the universe. First, that the the final fate of massive stars is to collapse behind an event horizon to form a black hole, which will contain a singularity. And secondly, that there is a singularity in our past, which constitutes, in some sense, a beginning to the universe. That's astonishing, right? That's a physics theory of gravity, that Einstein wrote down in 1915, a theory of gravity that predicts <laughs> that stars collapse behind event horizons, whatever, I mean, I talk about these in the, in the lecture, you can, you can picture those as being a place in space where, as viewed from the outside, time stops. So again, that's weird. <laughs> time stops over there <laughs> where that star collapsed <laughs> when you look at it from the outside. And then also there's a prediction, that that sentence, the theory of gravity predicts that there's an origin to the universe. That's a massive idea. So then it's true that those predictions come from a mathematical theory, but the way in, I think, is to be astonished that the human mind can build a theory of gravity that predicts, I mean, what is that? Let's use more evocative language, a moment of creation, (laughs) predicted from a theory of gravity. I mean, now, actually, interestingly, the work beginning in a very real sense with Stephen's work on black holes back in the 70s, we've now got a new theory of space and time emerging slowly. We're not quite there yet. And we now think that the universe might not have had a beginning at all. We don't actually know. <laughs> so, so it's remarkable. When you, when, you, when you bring other things in, quantum mechanics, actually, which is what Stephen initially did in his 1974 landmark paper, then you start to get much more complicated than that. So, so Einstein's theory, then you start saying, well, really? Is that? <laughs> so so it, gets, it gets more involved and complicated and richer. But that's the way in, isn't it? And then, you know, it's, it's true that the language of nature uh, appears to be mathematics. And so then I say to students, well, it, so if you're really interested in understanding this tremendous stuff, then do a bit of work. You know, it's just like, it's just like, well, it's just, I mean, I always think um, it's like playing an instrument, I think. It's like sitting down at a piano, and unless you're Mozart or something, you probably can't just sit down and play the piano. Even Mozart, I assume, had to learn how to play the piano. Do scales. <laughs> yeah, and, and so, you know, we expect that, right? Everyone expects that they have to practice. 
And it's, it's the same with, with maths. You can, get, you can get good enough at maths to do a lot of physics if you want to, you know, as long as you practice. You, you don't, Einstein, there's a really famous story about Einstein, actually, which I love, where, because he got asked a question like that, and, you know, you know how, is it, how can you be such a genius? How can you do all this stuff? And it was, school, it was a school talk, I think, he was giving. And he said to the children, he said, you've got to remember that when I was your age, I was no Einstein. <laughs> which is a great quote, and really true, right? <laughs> and what about you, Brian? What keeps you enthusiastic? You're obviously still engaged with this subject and enthusiastic about it. Oh, it's, le- it's learning new things, actually. I mean, I've, in, in the last few years, uh, I've got interested in, in black holes in particular, which I hadn't really been interested in before. And... Um, it's been a wonderful experience, the, uh, le- learning about them and learning the physics that you have to know to, to un- get a deeper understanding of them. And I like that. I, I like constantly learning new things, which is often physics, just, uh, you know, because why wouldn't you want to know about the end of time in, <laughs> in space and things like that and the beginning of time and all those things. But, um, but so, yeah... I think that's what... The, the thing that keeps me enthusiastic is that there's so much stuff that I don't know. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> that's what's interesting. And what do you think Stephen himself would say if he were here knowing that you were receiving this? I hope he'd be happy that <laughs> I've received the award that's given in his name. My impression is that he really did very strongly believe that... that trying to explain even this most esoteric of physics to as many people as possible is actually value is valuable it's actually more than valuable it's essential and and i think he firmly believed that so that's what i think he would be happy that there are people around who really want to try and explain all this esoteric physics to, to as many people as possible and what would you say to him if he were here I'd say thank you, and I'd said it to him actually. <laughs> I've already, I, I had said it to him in the past. <laughs> I said thank you. Not only, and what's interesting actually, as I said, I was really inspired by a brief history of time uh, when I was younger, and it wasn't until recently that I started to really try to understand what he actually did, back beginning with his work on black holes in the 70s. And the more I learn about what he actually did, the, the more astonished I am about it. I mean, if it's possible to have an ever higher opinion of Stephen Hawking, right, then that's happening to me. The more I explore his actual actual calculations and the actual work that he did, not only in publicising science, but in actually doing the science, the more astonished I am at at his brilliance, really. So so I'm learning more and more, actually, as I understand more. I, I think... God, he's, he's even better than I thought. <laughs> he's even more remarkable than I thought he was yesterday. I suppose somebody like him doesn't come along very often once a generation. I, I think, he, uh, honestly, he's, he's one of the greats. There's no, there's no doubt about that. And you can, you can see that. You know, not, uh, in the lecture, I say that if you look at his memorial stone in Westminster Abbey, and I was at that service, actually, in Westminster Abbey, um, and if you look at it, there's an equation chiselled into it which is the temperature of a black hole, on the floor of Westminster Abbey. So the immediate question is, why did someone think this was so important that they would chisel it in stone on the floor of an abbey? 
And the answer is because it is that important, actually, because it, it really is one of the, the the landmark discoveries that led to 50 years of work that's still ongoing and is accelerating, actually, now, the, the, the work that that triggered, which is really forcing us into this new picture of space and time, which is astonishing. Um, so, you know, yeah, I, I think his influence gets gets greater and greater, actually, with every year that goes by. Ah, lovely to talk to Professor Brian Cox there in Cambridge at the Cambridge Union earlier this week to receive the 2022 Stephen Hawking Fellowship. Cambridge 105 Radio. 